You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? They say the best weapon is one you never have to fire. I respectfully disagree. I prefer the weapon you only have to fire once. That's how Dad did it. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. Find an excuse to let one of these off the chain, and I personally guarantee you the bad guys won't even want to come out of their caves. Welcome, everyone, to Trek FM's local watering hole where the hosts from the network and friends drop by. We talk all things geeky, and this week we've got something special for you. So I hope you've ordered something special from Ruby. Uh, Grab a chair. I'm your host, Matthew Rushing, and I have got some great guests with me today to to talk about something really cool. Uh, Jose, it's great to have you back in the 602 Club. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. It's great to have you back. Daniel, I'm so glad that you are here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And Andy, last but not least, how are you doing? I'm good. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been really exciting. You know, we have covered all sorts of things. And, you know, 2008, something completely different came on the screen. Uh, You know, we had had comic book movies before uh you know say like 2004 unfortunately dc had a catwoman and, we don't uh, talk about that matt yeah uh and then uh, marvel had punisher spider-man 2 blade trinity uh the blade uh, trinity film uh then 2005 batman begins came out and then marvel had electra and fantastic four 2006, Superman Returns, then then X-Men Last Stand, 2007, no DC films, um, and you had Ghost Rider, uh, Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, and then the unfortunate Spider-Man 3, and then we got to 2008, and it was The Dark Knight, the follow-up to Batman Begins, and Marvel, the comic book company, decided that they were going to release their very first film. It was going to start off their own cinematic universe. Now, their films obviously had already been coming out through other distributors, through people who own those rights, but they were going to start something new. And really, Iron Man coming out, it had been a really long road. Um, You know, the film had actually been in development since 1990 with Universal Pictures, 20th Century Fox or uh, New Line Cinema, all of these people at various times had had this film in development. And then finally, Marvel Studios requires the rights back and they decide that they're going to produce and self-finance their own film and use Paramount as their distributor. And um, what did you guys think when you first heard that Iron Man was coming out? Because one... Spider-Man is Marvel's big thing. Like, that's the one that everybody in the world knows Spider-Man. But at this point, 2008, most people, unless you're a comic book junkie, Iron Man's probably not on your radar. So what did you guys think when you first heard, oh, Marvel's doing a new movie and it's Iron Man? I I remember when they made the announcement and that it was going to be, you know, the first two movies were going to be 
Iron Man and Hulk and they had, you know, acquired all this capital and they had made this, you know, this financial deal to I think it was like four hundred million dollars, four fifty, something like that, or maybe slightly less, uh, to bankroll these things and and their first two were gonna be Iron Man and Hulk. And everybody knew why, because Spider Man, all the big guns were all the other big guns, their more known stuff at the time was tied up in in the previous rights deals. Um I for one was stoked. I I I loved Iron Man as a kid, like um, being both a Marvel and a DC DC guy. I loved Iron Man, and I thought Iron Man was a great choice because not only is um, not only is Tony Stark a good character, the Iron Man suit is a is an easy effect because it's a it's mechanical. So it's not like the Hulk where you have to create a living, breathing thing that breathes and moves and has to have expressions. The Iron Man suit is a relatively inexpressionless thing. It, it's just, it's like, it's like animating a truck that moves a little bit more like a human. It's like animating a Transformer, and we'd seen that already. So doing Iron Man seemed like a really good idea for them. I was surprised at some of the other choices they made, but as far as them going with Iron Man and the Hulk, they were the two most popular, famous characters. You know, they were on that echelon. They were more popular than Cap was, you know, at the time. The Hulk was popular. Everybody, everybody knew who the Hulk was because of the TV show. And, uh, and Iron Man seems like a good fit rather than go straight to Cap. What did you think, Andy? Well, I'm not actually much of a comic book reader. Um, I've gotten more into comic books in the last couple of years, but when Iron Man first came out, I doubt I thought much of anything. I wasn't super familiar with the character, um, and I did not see the movie in the theaters. So I had no real opinions until they started building this much larger universe, and then I started to kind of go back and watch them as part of a bigger whole. But I myself was not... Uh, into the idea of an Iron Man character, so it didn't occur to me to go see this movie. Plus, weirdly, I happened to be um, in the Middle East when this came out, so it was a totally different story overseas. Um, it was just considered like a robot movie there, so <laughs> and it was hard for me to actually go <laughs> see it. Um, so I kind of had a weird perspective on it in that way, in that I was not in the country when Iron Man came out. Did you did you happen to see any crates labeled Stark Industries while you were over there? Or <laughs> no, no Stark Industries tech. Although right. movies like that, I actually was in. I was actually in Egypt for X Men Three, which we'll forget ever happened. And I was actually in um, China for one of the Spider Man movies. And it's actually it's really interesting to see how other countries market these big blockbuster movies um, and how some of the scenes play out in a much different way in different countries. For instance, Iron Man has a an extended sequence about American wars in Afghanistan and in the Middle East, they have a different perspective on what that would look like and who the hero of that story might be. And so it's kind of interesting to see how they market those stories. In the case of Iron Man, they did not market it as a superhero saving us from whatever. They basically just made it seem almost like a Transformers movie, kind of. Just big robot smashes things. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, him going, you know, that's how Dad did it. 
That's how America does it, and that's worked pretty well ever since. That doesn't really play so well in, like, you know, Afghanistan and, and Iraq at that time, for sure. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, Jose, been... we'll talk about it after the show. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, there have been a handful of times where I've been in a, uh, a Middle Eastern theater in either Egypt or Jordan or Syria or whatever and watched a, an American movie and seen an audience having a completely the opposite reaction. Um, but I did not happen to see Iron Man in the theater there, and now I'm wishing I did because I probably would be able to say some more stuff about that. What about you, Daniel, when you, you first kind of heard, you know, we were going to be getting this this Marvel Cinematic Universe was going to be starting, and obviously they're going to start with this character, Iron Man. Yeah, well, I remember very specifically, because um, I remember hearing, oh, they're going to do an Iron Man movie, and I was like vaguely familiar with Iron Man. Not, I wasn't super, super into him or anything like that, but I remember, I think it was Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, when they released the first footage of it. And I believe it was the footage, um, the mid, probably midway through the through the film, when Tony Stark first uses his actual red and gold suit, goes over there and is super badass and blows up the tank and all that stuff. And I remember like reading all of these articles of like how awesome, like this looks amazing, like he's flying around with these jets and all of this stuff. And and uh, and I remember getting really excited about when I actually saw the suit. And I'm like, this is cool. They might be able to pull this off. Because like you, you know, you were just going through the list there and it's like, we had successful comic book movies. Of course, we had the whole Spider-Man series, which was insanely popular. And then Batman had come out as well. And and a string of, oh, X-Men was huge too at the time. And, uh, but like, just, it was like to, to see them just kind of right off the bat, kind of knock it out, knock it out of the park. Like, oh my goodness, get the hype train started for this kind of minor character. I remember being really, really excited, and so that put me in in the seat day one for sure. Yeah, you know, it. I'm a little bit with you, and I'm on that side of uh, I don't know a ton about Iron Man, but I have enough familiarity with with comics in general to know who the character is. And so when I see the footage and everything, to me, I mean, this movie looks great. You know, I like comic book movies. I mean, we we'd had the X Men series. You know, Batman Begins had come out. I I didn't like Spider-Man 1, but Spider-Man 2 I thought was really, really well done. One of the best comic book movies I'd seen up at that point. Um, You know, uh, I really, I'm one of those people, I enjoyed Superman Returns. It's not perfect, but it was very well done. It looked great. And so, yeah, Iron Man comes out of this place where we've done some amazing things on screen. And like you said, they're just like going full throttle you know, they really do have the ACDC cranked, you know, uh, for themselves, for this film. And they're going to hit the ground running. And uh, I think that um, what's interesting is that, too, when I, I remember hearing, too, that John Favreau was the director. And what I knew him for was Swingers. Um, so I'm thinking, really, the guy from Swingers going to be directing, and well, that and obviously Elf and Zathura is going to be directing Iron Man. That's an interesting choice. Um, I hope he can pull that off. Um, because obviously he'd never done anything like that before. So, uh. Yeah, I, I sorry. I think I, I felt the exact same way. I, I think I felt that he had cut his teeth on Zathura enough as far as being able to handle like the effects work and that kind of stuff. Um, 
and and he had a good story sense. I wasn't like too worried. I just he just wasn't the guy I thought of when you think of like high octane action, you know, stuff. But clearly, you know, he nails it. Yeah, definitely. And um, I, you know, talking about uh, John Favreau as the director here. Marvel did this thing and they started off on the right foot when it came to that is finding a director that maybe other people might not have looked at but gave a chance to, you know, a, a smaller director. And it's paid off for them, and I think, in the long run for a lot of their films. Uh, and it's it's shown throughout uh, the the cinematic universe. I, mean, I think they've done a, a very good job of, of finding mostly the right director for the film that they're creating. And um, I think John really had a vision here. One of the interesting things I kind of want to lead into the next segment here is the storyline was going to have the Mandarin play a part as a villain. And slowly they kind of moved him back to the background more as kind of like a shadowy figure. They were kind of thinking like maybe a a Sauron type of character where he wouldn't really show up until the next film. And and part of the reason that they didn't really want him showing up and Favreau really didn't like it. The idea is he didn't feel realistic enough. And Batman Begins created a, a whole new idea of how we thought about superhero films of we're going to ground things in as much realism as possible and build from that. Um, instead of starting with a fantastical and moving our way down. Uh, we're going to start at the bottom and move to the top. And it's a really interesting thing uh, because it's a, it's a reorientation. You know, S- Superman, the original film, set the bar for what we think of as superhero movies. And um, it was kind of the gold standard, honestly, for superhero movies for the longest time. You need to have a, a, a good star that fits the role. You need to have a, um, a good director. And you need to have... An amazing score. That those are the things we all learned from Superman, uh, the original film. And here they start very differently. Um, and this whole idea of realism and superheroes. What do you guys think? Do you think that that was the best way to go here? Well, I you know honestly, I think it was a very conscious decision of theirs because, like, as we're seeing now, you know, we are. Uh, you know, we just got Guardians of the Galaxy, right? And uh, soon we're going to be getting uh, Doctor Strange. And, like, I think the idea was to start someplace simple and then we can build on it. I, I think, I mean, you know, these guys have been, you know, th- not that they've had a perfect record, but pretty close and have kind of th- the way that, it, that the Marvel Universe, the cinematic universe is kind of built and built and built on itself. Uh, you you have to start from a place of simplicity, uh, from 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 something more elemental that you can build on, and I think that was a very conscious decision of theirs. That's why we don't get any of that craziness in the first couple of movies, and then all of a sudden now we have these people that are flying around in spaceships, going to giant planets that look like skulls, and you know who knows what's going to happen in 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 uh, phase three. We we don't know, but but at this point the audience is with. Marvel, and we're like, yeah, take take us for the ride because this is fun. Well, I mean, Agents of Shield just introduced. Um, they had the Kree show up in an Agents of Shield episode recently, and I mean, this is the kind of character that they couldn't have shown. They, they needed a Guardians of the Galaxy movie 
to introduce us to the, even the idea of the Kree so they could bring it up again and another piece of their universe. They're really just layering it on top of each other. And I actually just did a rewatch of the entire uh, cinematic universe. And it's amazing how if you sit down and start with Iron Man and watch the TV shows and do it all in order, how much depth there actually is to their world building. Um, and to be able to put a, a Cree character on a primetime TV show and expect people to understand that he's from a planet and have some concept of what planet he's from is amazing to me. Um, I, I would agree with all of that. I mean, ex so as far as the realism question is concerned, um, when, whether or not it's the right thing to do, it's the Marvel way to do it. I mean, I think that's the, that's the defining difference between Marvel and DC. Um, DC's coming out of a much more, um, pop culture, uh, not pop culture, but poppy, um, very, um, hyper, uh, superhero universe, uh, whereas Marvel starting much later in the even you can kind of dismiss the cap stuff a little bit. And I only say that because um, the the real the the Iron Men, the Hulks and stuff don't come until after the war. You know, they don't come until the 50s and 60s. So and they're always Marvel's always been grounded in a sort of realism where what it would be like if superheroes were outside your door. Spider-Man's a very uh, relatable, you know, hero. All of the Marvel um Origins are very uh, related in 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 realism. Peter Parker gets bit by a spider. I mean, it's fantastical, but he gets bit by a spider and then he becomes Spider Man. Then he has to deal with homework. You know, I Tony Stark gets shot. You know, or, or catches shrapnel. And I think in the I think originally was it. I think it's Korea, and then it's Vietnam, and then it slowly moves up the chain as we as time passes. But they're all very real. So I don't I don't think it's um it's a bad call because that's that's kind of where Marvel comes from. Marvel comes from a a world of realism. Now it's not a real realism. It's a heightened realism. It's 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 a world in which Tony Stark is allowed to have a you know a suit of armor that's basically a, a tank, and no one comes and takes it away from him. It's 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 a it's a world where everything's a little up. Technologies technologies like thirty years in the future, but everything else is right now where it's happening, and and that's sort of the Marvel way so you sh that's the way to you should translate that on film and and as far as realism is concerned you can go all the way back to superman the movie or well, it's probably not much before that really but it's all about this idea of boy if we put up a four color craziness on the screen like people are going to freak out you know they're not going to they're not going to get it they're, they're not they're not going to feel connected to it so you have to put a little bit of realism into those movies in order to make your audience at least feel some connection to those characters. Cause if you, if you make it too fantastical, they won't go there with you, especially if you set it on earth. It's one thing if it's star Wars and it's set on distant planets and spaceships or even guardians to a certain extent, we're then, then we're invested in the, the characters become our touchstones our, our things that are real and that we grab onto. But, but when it's superheroes on earth, they're the fantastical thing, so we need something to grab onto. And I think that's something that the Batman films, the Tim Burton films and Joel Schumacher films kind of missed out on, in, in my opinion. I, at the time, I, I liked those movies, and, or I liked, liked Batman and a little bit of Returns. But, um, but I always had a problem with the, with the Burton Batman movies because his Gotham City looked like a place where Batman might actually exist. And that's not the point of Batman. The point of Batman is, is he, should, 
he should be something that doesn't exist in the real world so that it's kind of scary. But you walk into that Gotham with its crazy architecture and bridges that go nowhere and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and and it's like, oh, yeah, sure, there should be a dude. There should be a six foot, you know, two guy with, you know, a bat suit, you know, hiding out in the corner. That's perfectly normal. That seems like it fits there. Whereas in Iron Man, Superman, Spider-Man, you're in the real world and all of a sudden this big blur of color comes whipping by. Or even Batman Returns and, and Dark Knight where... He, it's all very relatable, but then there's this extraordinary thing and that's the superhero. And that's, I think, I think that's what filmmakers have kind of come around to is that the superhero should be the, the crazy thing, not the world. Yeah. I really like this whole idea of, of, of this realistic approach and it sounds crazy. You know, that's exactly what Zack Snyder said when he created Man of Steel. He wanted to be the most realistic Superman film and that's what you know. Favreau is saying here with with Iron Man, and, and what Nolan did with his Batman Begins is we want to start with what is real, so that when we get to the fantastical, you're already grounded in something. And um, I think that they both do just, and, and and Favreau does a fantastic job of making that work in this movie. Is because before we get to the craziness of the red suit and the Iron Man flying around. We've been grounded in the reality of this guy, who he is, you know, where he's come from, um, the kind of lovable jackass that he is, um, and we're 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 with him on the story as he gets to being this kind of fantastical hero in a Transformers type suit that can do all these amazing things, and I, I think that that's just a really smart question, and I like that. The filmmakers started asking that again. I think it, you're right, Jose. After that, the the Burton Batman's and and then the Schumacher Batman's, which was, okay, what if we had these heroes live in our world? Like, and they they showed up. Well, what would that be like? And and that's what the Marvel films and the and the new I think DC universe is really centered around. Is okay. What if these people just kind of showed up in the world that we actually live in today? What would that be like? And it would be kind of weird you know um and we kind of deal sorry, with that i don't want to beat the realism thing too hard but um because uh, i know we got other stuff to talk about but i want i wanted to just point out that there are sort of levels of realism and i think marvel lives in a in a a, a place where fantasy and realism realism really kind of touch um because i i there it's their realism isn't as intense as say uh sack snyder's realism or even Nolan's realism when it comes to Batman, the DC stuff. Um, Marvel lives in a world in which, uh, say like in the Avengers, you can drop uh, what is ostensibly a 400 ton whale on a building (laughs) and the building lives, right? The building survives and nobody gets hurt and everything's fine, right? And Man of Steel lives in a realism where if Superman and Zod punch each other, there's gravel flying everywhere and people are scrambling for their lives and, and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's it's a different kind of, it's a, it's a different, it's how far do you want to push that realism? And I think Marvel, and I think their success, is that they have found that line between comic book, you know, sort of antics and realism and made you believe that you can drop the 400 ton whale or... Tony Stark can fly through a bunch of, you know, cars and make them all explode and and nothing bad happens. It's all just kind of cartoon violence. 
happening happening around them, but nothing really nothing really bad. Whereas in DC land, or at least in the starting with the Nolan films, and we'll push Green Lantern somewhere in the corner. Yeah, um, that's probably a good idea. Um, because I think Green Lantern was DC's attempt, or Warner Brothers' attempt, to make a Marvel-like film. And they didn't quite understand what was going on there. Um, you look at the, the, the DC Nolan stuff going into Snyder stuff, and that's all really hardcore realism. Like, pretty hardcore. They, they don't fudge too much. I mean, except for the you know the guy in the wingsuit flying around, you know, or, or the, yeah, the guy that's the alien and he flies and yeah, 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 yeah except yeah, for that guy. Yeah. you know, and it's so interesting to hear you talk about that, right? Because and and well, I'm sure we'll get into this afterwards, but um, it's almost a parallel to uh, their casting of Robert Downey Jr. in this. But like, um, you're right, like, uh, and, I, and I'm not saying anything bad about any of these films, but like, if you compare. The, the original Iron Man with, like, the Batmans, with Batman Begins or the Dark Knight or something, and with Man of Steel, it's almost like Marvel isn't... It, it is trying to present a seriousness and a realism uh, that we can relate to, but isn't afraid to push those boundaries for the, for the sense of fun or uh, for just, just to be... just to go out and be crazy about it. Like, the, the, there is a level that they have achieved... Uh, uh, of tone, I guess is really what it is that like Batman and Superman don't do. Uh, I don't think uh, at least as well as Iron Man does where like, like you, like you're right. Iron Man can be punched through three cars and it's not a huge deal. Like we don't think that anybody has died or that, that anything has happened there, but it's, it's this kind of like they, they make this effort um, to, to allow it to be slightly comic booky but still grounded in what we would call reality. I on, I honestly want to say is that they've been able to find a way to Disneyify the violence in a comic book, so you're not offended by what's actually happening. Because well, if I you think were to like actually read comes a, from comic books, yeah, because I yeah. think you look at even if you look at DC comic books, and and again, because I think that's the dichotomy, right? Because I think that when and in in book form, DC comics are a lot more, um, they're a lot more fantastical and crazy, and they do a lot wackier stuff than Marvel comics do. Um, but in the films, it's kind of so slightly reversed. Um, but I think that the reason why they found that what I think is, is, is close to a very perfect tone, uh, for, for their films, um, is that, um, they, they draw from the comics, not just the stories and the ideas, but they, they bring in the creators and they have discussions about the tone of these films and how these things should work. And, and, and they draw that tone from Marvel Comics themselves, whereas the Warner stuff, I don't know if it's as connected to the comic book creators and the comic book company uh, as it is, you know, other things. But um, but I, I do think that's kind of where they get their their juice from. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the, it's a really interesting thing, the whole idea uh, of realism. I, I thought it was interesting here, just the fact that Favreau really was trying to to create a universe that felt real. And part of that was even just, you know, the fact that he wanted you to feel like there was a guy in, and the suit actually exists. So they go to the Stan Winston workshop and they, and they create these suits and they do as much of it 
on set and real in that way as possible so you feel the reality of what's happening and then obviously you know there's going to be fantastical moments and that's okay too so i just thought it was interesting that you know both batman begins and iron man um really start off uh, with their directors saying they kind of want the same things and and that's really just spun off and created i think um a new type of a look at least on film and we're seeing it in the tv shows with uh say flash and arrow and Gotham and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all this stuff where things are fantastical and yet at the same time they're still grounded in some sort of sense of reality that I'm not so just lost in the splash pages of a comic book. And I just, I think that's, I like it. I like it a lot. And um, Marvel has a a different style of realism than DC's and, um, you know, too, uh, it it comes down to taste as well there too. Which tone do you like better? And, And What's great is they're all here for all of us to enjoy, and and, uh, I love that. So one of the biggest parts of this movie, uh, you know, we are starting a cinematic universe, and we are going to place the weight of that on the shoulders of Robert Downey Jr., and that's that's the casting. That's the thing that I think, you know, this was either going to make or break this franchise, um... And I, you know, if if this film doesn't work because of him, do we have a cinematic universe in the way that we have it now? Uh, if they start off with this just not working, luckily that doesn't happen. But I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Who would have thought that you know he would come in and just, especially where he had been in life, this is is brilliant casting, if you ask me. This is the part when we get to hear about Dan's extreme crush on Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> oh, did you want to talk about your man crush? Uh, yeah, I do. We could, we, I could actually, we could make the we could say it's man crush Monday, I, but it's not. I actually, but it's cool. I actually prefer to call it a Dan crush. <laughs> a if Dan that's crush. Okay. Oh, a Dan crush. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. No, I mean, of course. I mean, it's not like Robert Downey Jr. I mean, I know that at that point in his career, he had been on a downswing, but he had always been a very solid, very likable, and very good actor. Um, they picked him up in, in... I think a downswing is being very kind. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. But it's not like he didn't have the chops. You know, he ha- his personal life was interfering with his ability to make art, but he still had the skills. So... Once he got clean, I mean, it's pretty smart to pick up uh, an actor of that caliber um, who can carry something like this and who has the humor, but also has the ability to bring something real underneath the humor. And he has had that for the last 20 years. I was just going to say, to be fair, it, it is, it, it, I mean, even discounting the fact that he has always been a, a pretty fantastic actor, it's also... Uh, you're going to have him lead this franchise. You're going to have him be the, I mean, and it's a family franchise, right? And, and it's, if it's, it's a celebrity thing and, and everybody knew what he had gone through and, and uh, he hadn't really picked, he hadn't picked himself up from that point at that point yet. So it was possible that he was still a train wreck, you know, for, for the, for all the public knew. And uh, it was still a huge risk, I think on Marvel's part and whoever was in charge, I, I think it was John, Right, John Favreau. I think John fought pretty hard. Yeah, to get yeah him. it was John. John right? My understanding. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, um, we really have to give props to him because honestly, I, I don't want to say I, I don't want to go so far to say that I don't think Iron Man would have succeeded without that. There was another actor that could not have done it as well, 
but uh, I think that it was the right call, and uh, it's possible, at least I can say that, it's possible that maybe uh, we wouldn't be where we are uh, in fa- as far as Marvel movies go without Robert Downey Jr. I don't think that's too much of a stretch to say. No, I, th- I, think, I think you've both nailed it. I mean, he was a... He had been a terrific actor, not not just a good actor, but a but an excellent Academy Award nominated, you know, just a, just a great actor. And then, you know, he hit the skids and he was virtually unemployable. And um, I mean, they, there was, a, you know, the, the, there's a huge issue on Iron Man that part of the reason they were having trouble casting him, aside from all their worries, was they couldn't get him insured. And he was he was uninsurable. And that was a problem. Um, but you know they fought long and hard, and and they made the right call, and it was a huge gutsy move on Marvel's part, because especially if you look at that time, they're finally like coming out of bankruptcy, they're gonna gamble, they're gonna bet the farm, and take out this huge loan, and they're gonna hang it all on the hat of John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr., and they're gonna see how this thing happens, you know, and and it was a it was a huge risk, but. While uh, Matthew saying that, you know, maybe some other guy could have worked as Iron Man. Sure. You know, some other guy could have worked as Luke, you know, but but when you see it, you know, but when you, and maybe Luke's not the right choice, maybe some other guy could have been Indiana Jones. But when you see it and when you see what Robert Downey Jr. brings to that part and how he's just he is electric in every scene that he's in. He's funny. He's smart. When he becomes heroic, he's heroic. When he's scared, he's scared. When he's, fr- I mean, he's just bringing it all out there. And maybe that's that's a guy who was given a second chance and decided to just act the heck out of it. And because this was his chance, but whatever alchemy made that all happen, I don't know what alternate timeline Robert Downey Jr. doesn't get to play Iron Man. I just know that I don't want to live it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, he it, he's he, he is singular. He singularly makes that movie. Any downsides that movie has, any you know, we can complain a little bit about the the villain plot or any of that stuff. But whatever, <laughs> Tony Stark stands in front of a delivers that speech, the speech in the you know to the military, and puts out his arms, and the mountain blows up behind him, and you're in love with this guy. He's amazing. Well, I mean, this is the first example of Marvel doing a handful of things that they do consistently since then, starting the tone here. One is casting actors that really match their roles, which you would think would not be would be a no brainer, but sadly is not the case. I mean, there's just a a particular mischievous quality to Robert Downey Jr., the person that he shines through in his Iron Man. The other one Matt alluded to earlier, which is casting a director that might be a little more niche, but is going to do what you want to do. And they follow that up with, you know, Joss Whedon with Avengers is a huge move. And since it paid off so much, I don't think people really remember that at that time he had serenity to his name when it came to movies And then you have James Gunn for Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn making all of these weird cult, surreal, bloody movies for Hollywood the last 10 years. And they put him together with the perfect movie for James Gunn. And it's creative. I I think in all those 
Yeah, I think in all those cases, they were, I mean, in, in every case except for Joss's case. I think if you look at the director that directed those movies, they were trying to cast, they were casting directors to fit the film. They wanted a very Shakespearean, very regal sensibility to Thor, so you, you get Kenneth Branagh, right? And they wanted, and they wanted wacky and crazy and offbeat, so you go and you get James Gunn. First of all, great thing about those guys is they don't cost a lot of money, comparatively speaking to, say, you know, uh, somebody else, and, and somebody that you immediately recognize. So they're very good about finding guys in that, in that zone and, and playing to their talents. I think in the Joss Whedon case, it's a little weird because Joss originally came in to kind of to write, to help Marvel out in making Avengers because they were having a hard time wrapping themselves around you know multiple characters and stuff like that and then Joss, Joss writes what is it a two or three page pitch like this is what I think the Avengers should be and Joss having come from the TV world and and knowing how to juggle a bunch of characters delivers this thing and they're like this is great you want to write it and direct it because you're the guy and at- yeah I mean Joss Whedon's whole thing, the thread that goes through every single piece of work he's ever had is taking disparate groups of characters with distinct personalities and turning them into a family. That is basically the the heart of every single TV show he's ever had. So the Avengers is a perfect match for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and and I think again, the fact that he only had Serenity behind him makes him uh, a little bit easier to uh, attain monetarily. He's not going to charge you a whole bunch of money to direct this movie. I mean, he's still going to make his millions, whatever. But in the grand scheme of things, Marvel's been one of the things Marvel does very well as a as a studio, as a production company, is they spend very wisely. They don't they don't go for flash. They they try to grab the right guy at the right point in his and her career to do that, even even down to their casting. I think they I think they they threw the wad at Robert Downey <laughs> to get that name, so to speak, because because it was their first outing out. Same thing with Ed Norton. Well I well I right? was just I was just laughing because it's funny to think like even whatever they paid him in Iron Man one and which of course we all agree is a br- a brilliant casting move. You know, now what they're paying Robert Downey Jr. is is well, but that's it, but the brilliant thing about all that is that is all based on that Iron Man right, one of deal, course, of course, where it's yeah. like we can't pay you a lot of money up front, so we'll give you a bunch of points off the back of this, the next thing, and the third thing that you do, yeah. and it turned out that third thing was Avengers, <laughs> and you know, so uh, you know, so that's kind of, but again, they're they're frugal in their thinking, and, and I don't mean it in a bad way that they're being cheap. They're just they. They have limited resources, especially at the beginning, so they, they were trying to make intelligent choices. Now, they made a very good choice in Iron Man. I don't know how well Hulk turned out for them. <laughs> Remember, those both those those movies bookended that summer. Iron Man comes out first, and then Hulk comes out towards the end. And Iron Man's a markedly better film than the Hulk is. And I don't know if it's cast properly. I don't know if it's shot well. It's 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 story wise, it's all over the place. So. If if Iron Man had been Hulk, we don't get anything else. Like we're done. I think Hulk is supposed to go into that same quarter corner where we're putting Spider Man three and Catwoman and uh, Green Lantern, <laughs> and they all sit what? over there and we pretend they didn't happen. No way. I, I I think it's really interesting though because the the fact that Iron Man's first is an act of providence for Marvel because I think you're right, Jose. If it is Hulk that comes out first. 
I mean, it is disaster for Marvel because it is not a good movie, and uh, it just didn't go the way they wanted it to. Iron well, Man. I think they. I think they know that. I think that's right. why oh, yeah. Iron Man opens for exactly, and that's why Iron Man. I mean, what's interesting is that they don't really recover great until Thor comes out because. Iron Man 2 isn't as well received and not as many people like it. And so they really don't kind of get back on track until you hit Thor and then Captain America and then you hit Avengers. And everybody just kind of thinks back of on Marvel in, in that first phase as being brilliant. But we kind of forget that, you know... Well, we, we definitely built a myth around yeah, the Marvel exactly, movies exactly. being sort of this, these infallible silver bullets that never miss. And, and that's fine. Look... I think even the worst of the Marvel movies, which is, I don't know, I, I hesitate to throw out a name, but it's probably yeah. Iron Man 2 or, or or Hulk or something like that. Uh, I said that? Iron Man 3, but I was forgetting the Hulk movies because I put them in the corner a long time ago. Iron Man right, right, right. 3. So if, if even those movies, and Hulk is pretty bad, um, they're not like unwatchable pieces of junk. They're, they're no they're, Green Lantern. There are no Green Lantern, exactly, because Green Lantern is pretty bad. It's pretty bad, yeah. Um, and, and I'm a DC I'm, guy, you know, but it I'm sucks. Die hard. Yeah. I'm a diehard Green Lantern fan, and oh my god, that movie was not good. I spent 20 minutes in a parking lot yelling at a phone, <laughs> talking to my friends after I walked out of that movie. I was really upset. But um, so even in the worst cases, they're not the worst movies. They're just not very good, especially in comparison. And I think that's that's actually that's actually a success for Marvel. You know, yeah, uh, to a certain extent, because at least they're not they're not bombing. You know, they're not crashing hard and making unwatchable stuff. They're making stuff that's like, oh, well, all right. Well, I don't feel like too upset they took my money, but this wasn't as good as the other thing. And, you know, so they, they get back on the horse with what cap? Maybe, you know, whatever. So, but let's not talk about the other Marvel movies. Let's keep talking about Iron Man. You know, I think it's really interesting, too, because we're talking about the actors they get for this film. And you got Robert Downey Jr. on one side, but then you have on the other side that's going to play opposite him as the female lead in this film is Gwyneth Paltrow. And she's like the golden child at this point in Hollywood. You know, she's won an Oscar. Um, you know, she's, she's, she's fantastic. And I love her in this movie. And I love her in all the Iron Man movies, even if I don't like Iron Man 2 very much. She's always good in them. And um, I think they just did a fantastic job of pairing her with Robert Downey Jr. You found somebody who could play off him spectacularly. I just, I love the their their chemistry together. And you buy it immediately, and it's fantastic. She has a kind of aloofness that goes well with his kind of devil-may-care charm. Um, I think you're right that the chemistry there is is really helpful, and then also having a love interest that's not horribly boring is very helpful, because a lot of a lot of comic book movies with you know your superhero and their love interest, a lot of them don't go very well until we start getting into the Marvel universe where they actually have some excellent love interests for our superheroes, um, including sometimes Peggy yeah. Carter. Peggy Carter's fantastic. Yes, Peggy Carter's great. We love Peggy, Peggy Carter. Yeah, love um, Peggy Carter. I would argue that um, in her case, uh, what's great about her character and and the way that she plays it is that, and I think Iron Man one does it much better than Iron Man two. I got all kinds of problems with Iron Man two, and they're yeah, that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast. But but in Iron Man, what's great about what's great about Pepper is that she is not um, 
I don't want to disparage Lois Lane when I say this, but she is not Lois Lane, who is enamored with Superman and she's kind of doe-eyed and, you know, kind of, oh, I get the vapors when I'm around Superman. You know, she doesn't have any of that. She's like, you know, Tony, you're a schmuck. You know, there's there's a little Nick and Nora in that where there there's there's a little. She's not. She loves him, and you can tell that she loves him, but she also isn't going to put up with this crap. And that's a very different kind of relationship than the traditional sort of romantic get swept up in girls that get thrown at comic book characters. They get thrown at superheroes, generally speaking. Um, and I and Pepper isn't that character. Pepper is a little bit more feisty. Again, comes from you know being a much more modern character than some of the other people. She's got a little bit more spunk, a little bit more... She's an equal to him in many ways that that other heroines or other characters aren't. It's the same thing Peggy Carter has going for her. Cap, she doesn't work for Cap. She's not his assistant. Yeah, Cap works she's for his her. Partner. <laughs> she's, his, she's his partner, you know? And, and, and that goes a long way towards having a much more interesting and dynamic relationship and i love gwyneth in the part i mean she's great yeah what do you guys uh for you know we obviously know he does not stick around but in this film what did you think of terrence howard is roadie i think he's a better roadie than don oh i disagree really you really do i uh, yeah hold on hold on because i'll let you guys have this fight uh but so jose for you what makes Terrence Howard a better roadie than Don Cheadle. I believe their chemistry a lot more than I believe the chemistry between uh, Tony and uh, between uh, Stark and the and and the Don Cheadle version of uh, of Jim Rhodes. I I I liked the fact that these two guys look like guys that they would be like really good friends. And it's not to say that I dislike Don Cheadle as roadie. He's great. Don Cheadle's a great actor. I just preferred Terrence Howard because I think he he had a little more swagger to him. He looked like a guy that could that would hang out with with Tony Stark. You know, he's got he has a little bit more fun. They, I mean, they do the you know sort of weird thing with the pole with the stripper pole and the plane, <laughs> and it's funny. And you get that those two guys have that kind of relationship that they've. They've been through stuff together and it works. And and I think when Don Cheadle came in, he plays him a little bit less. He plays him a little bit more reserved, a little bit more, a little more straight laced than Terrence Howard did. Terrence Howard plays him a little bit bigger, a little bit more fun. Still like, you know, that scene where he's like, you know, where are you? Are you driving in your car? You know, that scene is great. And I, I just think he's a he's a better fit for Rhodey than Don Cheadle is. It's not to say that I don't like Don Cheadle. I think Don Cheadle's a very fine actor. I love him in a gazillion things that he's been in. I think he's a great actor and maybe even a better actor than Terrence Howard. But I think in this part, I think Terrence Howard is a lot more, he's just a lot more fun. And maybe that's the script, whatever, but he's just a lot more fun. There's a lot more comic beats that he plays off better. There's, it just, it all just kind of works a little better. And maybe the other thing is too, is that the bulk of what we've seen of Don Cheadle do was in Iron Man 2 which isn't a very good movie and he doesn't have a very good very good things to do in it he's also at odds in with Iron Man Tony 3. in that movie so you're talking about him yeah, being and in fun and th- I mean in that in Iron Man 2 he is in direct you know conflict he's in direct conflict yeah. with him yeah and in Iron Man 3 
what does he get he's kind of there but then he's not like it's, he's very sidekick in iron really spend, man 3 yeah and he kind of just comes in there at the end very very quickly and it and then he's he's not even in the suit cuz the suit's on the other guy it's it's weird so as far as Terrence Howard is concerned like I kind of I was bummed when it all didn't work out behind the scenes cuz I liked him in the part you know he even gets to say the line you know maybe next time baby like I it all worked for me your rebuttal sir yeah. <laughs> I and and actually everything you just said I'm not going to argue with any of it um uh, it's actually all of what you just said is the reason why I buy Terrence Howard. Don Cheadle. Uh, I'm sorry, Don Cheadle. Don why Cheadle. I buy that's right, <laughs> Terrence Howard. Why I buy Don Cheadle more is because I see him more as Mr. Military, Mr. Uh, I am this important person that needs to take my job seriously. Like I see him more as like I I, I don't even disagree with you that like they that in the in Iron Man one they have. And I like Terrence Howard in the part. I, I didn't see any reason to recast him. Of course, we know that. I think it was, mo- it was monetary, of course. I think, it, was right? yeah. it was money. Um, so I would have been totally fine with it. I'm not saying, like, I hate th- his portrayal in the first movie at all. I'm just saying, like, I kind of got a, a more serious vibe, a more professional vibe from, from the way Terrence Howard... Oh, my God, I keep doing... Don Cheadle plays the part. And, uh, you know... Um, Maybe and who knows? Maybe we'll get a more playful vibe from him in his probably very small part in Age of Ultron. Who knows? Well, from the trailers, he's already having some fun with Tony. They're trying exactly, to pick up the exactly. hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get that. Yeah. They get the. They get the party mm-hmm. suit. So, <laughs> oh, uh, which is cool. Like, like I said, I don't. I don't want to disparage on on Don and, and his portrayal. I just think that the the way Terrence Howard plays him, or maybe just the way that he's written. Seems more like a guy that would hang out with Tony Stark than the other guy. That's it. I mean, that's what it boils down to. That's for fair me. enough. For for me, it was uh, I I don't enjoy Terrence Howard as much as an actor, um, and uh, so I and I like Don Cheadle better as an actor, and so I enjoy him more in his role as Rhodey uh, because of that. Um, but I can't argue with you at all you know i think you're right in, in the way that, that the role is played and and what he gets to do i think is really the biggest thing i, I think if don Cheadle maybe had been in um this film uh we probably would be loving him just as much it, jose you might not have as much of a problem with him because i think favreau would have had him play it pretty much the same as terrence did yeah um, probably so I, I think yeah i i get what you're saying though in, in the other films he has a very different role in a lot of ways yeah, and, so and, yeah, and that might not be fair well. of me yeah. to to contrast the two because his, his what he has to do in one versus what he has to do in the, the subsequent films is is much different. For villain, uh, we go with uh, you know a great actor, a big actor, Jeff Bridges, the dude, and that dude, yeah, man, he will abide. Um, and so, uh, what did you guys think about him as as playing this kind of role? Because uh, you know it, it hadn't been something that personally, I mean. I, at that point, I hadn't really seen him do something where he's going to go this villainous. And I'd obviously just seen him as the dude, really. That's how I thought of him. So what do you think about the dude being, you know, uh, Obadiah Stane? And shit, I mean, he heck, they, they he didn't have to shave his head for the role, but he decided he wanted to do it. So I thought that was great, too. I mean, he definitely sold out. Jeff Bridges has tremendous range, and he's always had tremendous range. Um, I do like his, his um, take on this character. Um, you can kind of sense something off from him from the beginning, but then when he actually like turns it on full force, he actually gets 
pretty menacing and pretty scary. Um, and I think that's important. If you're going to have a, a, a good superhero, you need to have a good villain. I mean, one of the biggest problems with Iron Man 2 is our villain is not as good. And therefore, in comparison, Iron Man suffers as a hero. Whereas in this one, there's also a lot of personal baggage uh, mixed up in it. So I think the that he plays that kind of personal um, resentment really, really well and adds an extra layer to his motivation, which I like. I, you know, I was just going to say, I, 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 I like the, I, I think Jeff Bridges does an excellent job at what he's given. And I like and buy him up until they put him in the suit. And at that, at that point, I'm just like, eh, I don't like, I find him threatening when he's, when he goes to Afghanistan or wherever it is. And the, he first uses that ear thing and, and you know, he's like, creepy and you know you're scared of him like this guy would definitely you know mess your your stuff up if if he wanted to and then when he goes and 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 then with tony and he pulls out his chest piece and oh that's great that's good stuff and then right after that i'm like okay like now he now he's essentially he's gone from being a a presumably well-respected kind of uh normal member of society to uh, indiscriminately killing children and and parents in their cars and doesn't have any problems doing all of these crazy things and turns into the the kind of stereotypical one note i think comic book villain villain and i, w- I and i understand that they had they had only so much time and that's fine like you know the movie isn't hurt too much by it but i i just feel like that actor that they could if they had somehow been able to stretch it out uh either with a subsequent film or, or a longer movie like it, it could have been something really really great um from well look it, it to me it's all about the line when he says tony stark built this in a cave <laughs> yes <laughs> that's it that's all i needed to hear it's it Everything else is is gravy. He is he is super threatening and super menacing. I think the scene that you just references uh, referenced uh, about when he um, when he gives him the pizza and and he he's he's taking the thing out, but not only taking the, the thing, but the, the way that whole thing puts, comes together, where he just slips the the thing behind his ear, and it, it's just it, he is just super creepy. I love Jeff Bridges, so I I think he's. He's very well uh, cast in this, and and um, but yeah, once he delivers the the, he built this in a cave with no tools, and you know, it, forget it, it's over. Like nobody else kills that line as well as he does, and 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 makes you feel the moment. Um, so I I loved him. I thought he was I thought he was a great opening villain. Uh, again, being an old Iron Man reader, I remember the Obadiah Stane uh, story arc. So when I knew he was going to be the villain, I was like, "Yeah, we're going to get some Ironmonger. This is going to be awesome," and we got some Ironmonger. So I was I was pretty happy. Well, kind of transitioning for you guys, you know, talking about the cast, I thought it'd be great just to kind of talk about a little bit about the storyline. I mean, it's the first Marvel cinematic film. Uh, you know what they decided to do with uh, the music because really, I, again, Superman the movie created a whole feel for what you do with a superhero film, which is you start off with a big you know, credit sequence with some amazing music that lets you know that a hero is on their way. 
And you know, when we got to Batman Begins, um, we stopped doing that. Um, because the Spider-Man films had kept that tradition alive, uh, the X-Men films had kept that tradition alive. Batman Begins, that isn't there. Um, and Marvel keeps that tradition going, really, by really not having a credit sequence at all uh, until the end of the film, and there's no hero theme. Um, so that, and then what about the you know direction, Favreau, everything... Just kind of the film in general. What do you guys uh, think of of how it all turned out? Story, music, uh, Favreau's direction. The thing I like most about this movie is that it's very timely. And unfortunately for American history, it can be timely in just about any war. But the idea of weapons and making weapons and who you sell the weapons to and how they're used and the power of how we wage war is all very timely. And I think they released it at like the exact time when we needed to have that conversation. And to me, that's the the biggest strength of the film is that, I mean, yeah, you can have Robert Downey Jr. flying all over the place in an Iron Man suit, but really the plot holds up because there is a thematic element that rings true to where we were as a country then and still now, to be honest. Um, that's my favorite thing about it. Yeah, I think, Andy, you make a great point, because I think it's... Uh, it Until we get to Cap 2, I feel like it's the one film that really has a, you know some overarching big-type theme like that, where it's, it's speaking outside of itself. A social message. Um, yeah, exactly, and... and um, you know, I, I I enjoy because of my love of like Star Trek and things like that. I, I enjoy when films do that. And this one is universal enough. So it's not just tied to everything that was happening in Afghanistan at that point. Um, this is really a, an important message for all generations. You know, our responsibility for how we handle ourselves with the things that we make, whether it's weapons or anything else. We have a responsibility in that. And so, yeah, I really really responded to that even watching it again um the other night with my wife it just really appreciated that um you know this it did at least start the marvel films did start here with having something bigger to say than just we're here to have fun and then we lose that for a while i think and then it comes back again in cap two and it's a big thing in cap two and i think it's fantastic it's my favorite of all of the films that they've done so um, yeah, I really, really like that. I mean, it's a social message, but it's delivered in a fun and an organic way. It's not one that's beating you around the head. You're still enjoying the movie and the, the movie and the characters and the plot are still the most important thing. It just has something to say. And that's a really hard balance to, to maintain in the superhero movie. And the ones that actually manage it are the ones that hold up the best. And I think that's why um, Winter Soldier is so good. I think that's why some of the earlier X-Men movies and um, what's the first X-Men? First Class. I think that's why First Class is really good as well. When I think um, there is something about this film that Favreau brought in, it was that kind of independent flavor to this. Um, you know, he that's he's he's that kind of director. That's where he cut his teeth, and you can feel that in this movie. That it feels um, fresh with what he's doing. Well, I want to 
go back to the um, the music that you were talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I and and to tie it into what you're saying about John's independent flavor, uh, feel, you know, what he's bringing to the film. Uh, I I think one of the things that you can look at with with Iron Man it's its use of uh, of rock and roll, mm-hmm. the yep. way that it uses uh, rock and roll as a as a tone setter, and that's something that you don't you know normally normally our movies are scored. And that's how we roll. And we don't use live, you know, we don't use real music. But, you know, but he brings a ton of ACDC. And um, and it works. Because, and and it works so much that Marvel still does that. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily in, their, in the films uh, all the time. Uh, the Iron Man movies obviously are a little different. But, but in their marketing, they use, they still use that heavy guitar, rock and roll, kind of vibe in in a lot of their marketing for um for you know their TV shows and 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 their and their films but it set a tone in that movie that we that it it, it made it rock and roll because Tony Stark is kind of a rock star and by giving us that music and you know tying it in a little bit to heavy metal and and you know Iron Maiden and Iron Man and and all that kind of stuff, Black Sabbath excuse me um and Iron Man, the song, um, it it gave it a bit of an edge that other superhero movies didn't have. You know, you go to Batman and Batman Begins, and I, I had to disagree with you a little bit when you were talking about Batman not having a a theme. I I think there's a very strong Batman theme in in Returns and in Dark Knight, um, but that's that's a discussion for another time. Um, but that said, I, I he doesn't have to give Iron Man a theme because Iron Man's theme is ACDC, yeah, it's black, back and black. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's back in black. It's 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 all that stuff. That's that's his theme. His theme is sort of you know late seventies, early eighties heavy metal, you know, and that's that's his theme, and that's a great way to do that. Um, in a way that I probably hadn't seen in a movie since since you know Flash Gordon and Queen. That's something they continue too with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy using music to such great effect in their movie as well. And as a way to kind of explain Peter Quill in different ways. And, it, and the great thing about the way they use music in Guardians, too, is that we were talking earlier about um, not setting Guardians on Earth. So you have to have something to pull you in. And that's the characters and mostly Peter. But the other way they do that very, very cleverly is by throwing music at you that you if maybe you don't know it. I mean, I knew like everything, but um, but you you at least can relate to it. You maybe have heard that note somewhere or you you know that bridge or you know that chorus. And all of a sudden everything feels familiar because Peter Quill can be, you know, whatever, kicking aliens or little, you know, rats down a down, you know, in a canyon, but the second you hear Hooked on a Feeling, you're like, "Oh, I know this song." And it's funny and you're and and now you're you have a connection to that to that character to that into that moment i think for me it was um you know the music part was just something that i missed for being somebody who's more of an enjoyer of the the williams style yeah i was gonna say you you like you like the the williams style exactly everybody has a theme there's exactly the love theme here's the hero's theme here's leia's theme and um and they do and what's interesting is the marvel films do that a little bit say within thor um they do it in captain america they have more uh, symphonic scores but they're not by anybody that's 
on that same level where they're creating the Captain America theme. Is anyone on the same the level Thor as John theme. Williams? Uh, <laughs> there's people you could get that I, I mean, you you know, there's there's your James Horners, there's there's Thomas, uh, there's tons of people uh, you you could get, and um, no, you, the answer to that question. Is <laughs> there is no other John Williams though. Uh, there is only one, and he is a genius. Um, but I, I I think that those characters would have benefited more from having that, and they have themes. They're just to me not as memorable or enjoyable as anything something like John came up with, or you know, I think of a uh, James um, Horner, Danny Elfman. Uh, kind of, yeah. Uh, Danny Elfman. Uh, well, and you know James Horner, he did uh, the Rocketeer, you know, which is literally just a comic book movie because that's where it comes from, and it's a fantastic score. Um, so it, those kind of films here, you're right, it doesn't need it as much because his theme is is all of the rock and roll which he loves so much, and in fact, you know Iron Man two as much as we are deriding it because it's not a great film. The whole soundtrack is just ACDC uh, yeah. songs, and I would argue that that is that is the that is the Achilles heel, if you want to call it, of all the Marvel movies. Like I think all the Marvel movies um, is not, with the exception of Guardians, because it uses so much um, actual you know songs, not not a score. But the scores for I think all the Marvel movies are generally forgettable. There's maybe a couple of tracks here and there that are like, oh yeah, I remember that. You know the the Captain America end title sequence mm-hmm. is is mm-hmm. is really spectacular, and as far as like music is concerned, and and the Avengers stuff kind of has a thing to it now. And that may have come from watching Avengers a bunch of times too. But <laughs> I don't remember the score to Iron Man. I don't remember the score to Thor, or or even or most of Cap. You know, or even most of Avengers for that matter. You know, um, that that is something that Marvel has never really tapped into the the score in Marvel movies is it's it's wallpaper and I don't I don't mean that in a bad way well I guess I kind of do I just I just mean that it's not it's not anything memorable and whereas say and again I'm not trying to compare but I'm gonna throw out Man of Steel Mm -hmm. because the Man of Steel soundtrack or even the Batman soundtracks I think are all stellar pieces of music mm-hmm. there's stuff there that really moves the scene and like wow like holy cow that's great and they're trying like experimental stuff and it, it feels there's the score is a very big part of the film where in avengers or iron man or cap it's 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 wallpaper it's something that we have to put in because we need we need a score something has to hang it'll be weird if we do these big action scenes and there's no score to punctuate moments and, and carry us through and bridge things together, but but they're not memorable scores. That's that's just not a Marvel thing. Well, that's something that I would love that to see them maybe try to do more of, um, because you know, it, like you said with uh, Man of Steel, and obviously we're going into Batman versus Superman or Batman v Superman, um, and and Zimmer is going to be doing the score again, and and all of that. Um, we've gotten used to those heroes having iconic scores and I think people would just be really in arms up in arms if they didn't um fans would be really mad you know whereas I think Marvel has that opportunity to not do that because they haven't been seen on screen as much I mean Superman and Batman have been on screen a ton 
you know, whether it's cartoons or whether it's radio plays. I mean, they have been done all over the place. And and music has been a big part of that in their character. Whereas I don't think it, it had been as much for the Marvel characters. Because, the, you know, the main place that they had been seen was in cartoons. And it doesn't hold as much weight with how we think of, I think, our DC heroes. And so they haven't had to live up to that. And they haven't had to worry about it as much. I, I think there's also a general, um, let's not do the thing that's been done before. Uh, mm-hmm. We've we've done the iconic, you know, thing. Let's let's not do that. Let's just do something else. And again, in the Marvel side, I imagine too that there's a there's a certain consideration. Again, a budgetary consideration. If you're gonna get somebody who's maybe, I mean, does anybody know who scored any of these movies except for I think Sylvester scored Avengers and mm-hmm. did he score Cap too? He may have scored Cap also. He's, I think he scored Cap too. Um, but I don't think anybody can tell me who the composer is on any of those films. Um, off top of their head, you know, where Brian I can... Tyler, I think, is is Iron Man three because he okay. gave him an actual theme. I think that's who that was, but I, I mean, that's that's me really reaching. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't. I couldn't tell you who scored Iron Man, for example. You know, um, so whereas I can tell you who scored, you know, Batman and and all the Batman films and Man of Steel. I mean, it's the same guy, but. And I can tell you that it's going to be him and Junkie XL on Batman v Superman. So it's, you know, there's, there's just a different different approaches to it all. Well, wrapping up our, our conversation, um, you know, watching this film again, you know, this is the first Marvel movie, 2008. Um, does it hold up for you guys? And then, of course, uh, what would you rate Iron Man? I, I think it holds up fantastic. I think it's a... I think it's it's as good a movie as Marvel's made. If you're gonna rank it on the scale of of Marvel films, just to keep it on that scale, it's probably in the top three for me. I mean, it's you know, it's it's there with Cap and Avengers and Guardians. Probably Guardians falls under it for me. So I don't know. I remember we did this on our show too, and I can't remember where I put it, but but I I, I just think that as a as a match starter, as a as a as a as a thing to light the flame. It's 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 great. I mean, it's still great. I mean, it's great, even to the 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 idea of the after credits sequence, you know. And we want to give DC a bunch of flack and everybody else for like, why is everybody pre-announcing their universe and stuff like that? Iron Man does it in the first movie. You know, they they come right out and they're like, the Avengers Initiative. So we know Avengers is coming down the line. Um, it's a pipe dream for them because. They don't know if they're going to have the money and, and whatever to do it. But but that's the groundwork they're laying from day one. So, I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I think it holds up remarkably well. What do you think, Andy? Um, I think it holds up extremely well. It's I just rewatched it a couple weeks ago. Um, it's very good. And as I said, uh, as timely as it is, it's also timeless. Um, unfortunately we're going to have war and how we fight war to be a theme that will be relevant for probably a long time. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is very enjoyable to watch and I really like this movie just in general. Daniel. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, this is probably my second favorite, uh, of, of the Marvel movies. And, uh, 
you were watching it yesterday in preparation for for what we we're talking about today i was kind of amazed oh I, I shouldn't say amazed but i was reminded of how much groundwork it lays like how much agent colson is in this movie like he keeps popping up and it's really funny to like in hindsight to watch that and be like oh oh by the way he's going to be important you should you know you should keep an eye on him and then of course the 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 post credit sequence as well with uh uh, you know, with Nick Fury, and it's it's like I, I don't know. I have there are issues with this film, but I have when I'm watching it, I I have trouble finding them. I just I have I'm having <laughs> such a good time. That's a sign of a good movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, that's that's how I feel about Guardians. Yeah. I think I think Guardians is uh is a tremendously fun movie. That's a total mess but i don't care because i'm having a great time because everybody's everybody's fun and it's there's always something new to look at and there's something interesting and and i think sometimes we get really hung up in like the minutiae and and not enough in the emotion of how a movie makes us feel because that's what we're there for we're there to be entertained and iron man entertains well i guess we are gonna have to have a guardians episode so i can tell you jose why you're wrong (laughs) <laughs> he, he's, we'll have a Guardians episode but it's going to be a while I, I we've got a few Guardians. films to get through he's, he's not wrong the uh, audience but uh, I, I love Guardians of the Galaxy oh, don't I worry we'll take it's, it beat it, by I, beat and I'll explain why you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if I could finish my thought <laughs> um, you know it is it is it's just a movie you're gonna have fun watching that, and that and you know at the end of the day like we can talk about messages meanings uh, the beginning of a whole franchise we can talk about a thousand different things we can talk about music but, but what, what ends at the end of the day if you sit down and you watch this two-hour film you're gonna have fun it's you're gonna enjoy your time and at the end of it you're gonna be like uh, I could totally do that again I would have no problem doing that again and uh, you know whatever flaws it has it has but uh, it's just one of those movies that it's great to come back to two years later and just still it, it, it's it was amazing to me to have that same sense of like yeah let's go Iron Man like that you did the first time you watched the film and and that's special I think that's special among movies it's 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 hard to find that quality and uh, and uh, and I think that's maybe why Marvel has succeeded as as much as it has yeah as as we were talking I was thinking that. This movie is the Dr. No of the Marvel franchise. It sets up everything that will come after it. You know, it, it will set up the formula that we're going to use. Um, we, you know, with the Colsons kind of thing, with the S.H.I.E.L.D. connections, we're going to set up that, you know, with the Furies and the after credit sequences, we're setting up the, the whole way that Marvel films are done. And uh, each film has really kind of kind of set in that mold and they kind of move things around a little bit here and there. But on a whole, it, it's it's all pretty much much like Bond movies. It's it's a formula. They, they set up the formula for how they were going to do their universe. And what's wonderful is that, like we said earlier, we start with Iron Man. And it works. And I think you're right, Daniel. This is what's so great about this movie is that I still enjoy it the same amount as when I saw it in the theater the first time as I did sitting on the couch watching it with my wife at home because it's just a great movie. And for 
it's a great movie. Um, it's it's a really good rock concert. Yeah, is yeah, what I, is what I like it into sometimes. It's it's a really good show. Yeah, and it and what's 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 fantastic about it, you know again, uh, I'm with you guys too. This is this is in my top three for Marvel films. Um, you know, I, I just really really enjoy it, and so um, Marvel really hit it out of the park with Iron Man. Um, whether they stumble or not, the next few films we'll talk about uh, when we get back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we'll be covering the Incredible Hulk at that point. So we're not keeping um, it in the yeah, corner. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, no, we're gonna we're gonna bring the Incredible Hulk out. It's part of the universe. There, can't uh, we got to keep Hulk in the corner. Yeah, we can't keep Hulk in the corner. Nobody puts oh. Hulk in the corner. Uh, he's a lot like Baby. Um, so uh, nobody puts her in the corner either. So. Well, guys, it's been an absolute blast just talking about Iron Man, um, and I feel like I should just be playing some ACDC right now, but it's it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM the past week, so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. It's not an overstatement, and you had said in your introduction that without, without him and his hand guiding all of this, then then it's unlikely that two would have been what it was. And if it had not been successful, then it, it you know it probably would have meant the end of Star Trek at that point. Earl Grey, like I'm expecting Ricardo Martavon to like walk around the corner and be like Captain Picard, welcome. This is Rise of Five. The shuttlecraft. The shuttlecraft. The orb. Curzon is involved with the Kittimer yep. Accords. Spock is at Kittimer when those are being talked about, so you would think they would have run into each other They probably least. hung out in the bar together. To the journey! One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out now! <laughs> the Ready Room. The movie series would not have relaunched and, and become what it was if not for the amazing bounce of... The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan was to Star Trek the same thing that uh, The Best of Both Worlds was to Next Generation. Commentary, Trek stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary Treks. Well, I always liked the... Uh, I like that episode for... I mean, it's one of the most derided of the of the original series episodes, but yet I always it has a place in my heart for some reason. I've always enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it over. So um, I wanted to do something with those guys, the Scalbians. The Six O Two Club. Like I, I could kind of dismiss Droids in Distress and Fight or Flight and everything like that, and I was just kind of watching the background. But all of a sudden, I started catching myself, like stopping working and, <laughs> and just focusing on watching. And, uh, and so it just got better and better and better. And I think I was hooked by episode four, Breaking Ranks. That's when I was like, okay, I like this show. This is good. Warp 5. In the history of Axanar, Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. 
Guys, you know you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're an Apple user, just help us out. Hit that subscribe button. It really makes it easier for people to find us when they search on iTunes. And you know what? So do star ratings and reviews. And uh, I just really appreciate all the people that go and do that. Go give us one. It really does help us out. We really appreciate that. Um, and of course, if you're not an Apple user, you guys, we, you can find us wherever you want to get your shows. Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. You can get, uh, you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website, or you can grab that RSS link as well. Uh, guys, uh, it's so awesome that you are here. Andy, where can everybody find you online? The easiest way to find me is on Twitter um, at at first time Trek, where I'm live tweeting my first time watching all of Star Trek. Um, you can also find my podcast that I help host, Women at Warp, at womenatwarp.com. Awesome. And what do y'all talk about on that show, Andy? We talk about Star Trek with only no women way. hosts. <laughs> awesome. That's great. And I've listened to it, guys. It is a great show. Uh, Daniel, where can everybody find you online? Everyone can find me here on Trek FM every week on Earl Grey, where we talk about TNG all the time with my co-hosts, Philip and Darren, we have a great time. You should you should check us out uh, if you're at all interested. And you can also find me on Twitter. My handle is one up Dan. That is the number one, not the word. And Jose, where can everybody find you online? Uh, I guess the easiest place would be Twitter. Um, you can find me there at Ringslinger. That's uh, Ring Slinger, like a jewelry thief, I guess. Um, and um, you can also find me on my podcast that I do with my buddy Doug which is The Zero Room, and you just go to iTunes and look for it there, and you can find us there talking about uh, general pop culture, sci-fi, nerdy stuff. And it's it's a great show. Uh, I, I love y'all's show. So if you guys aren't listening to it, audience, you need to be listening to The Zero Room. I, can't, I honestly can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, I have you. a blast every week. So, um, Well, another way you can help keep all the shows coming to each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, you can find all the current goals and milestone contribution levels, and we've got some great perks for you. Uh, you've got early access to content, exclusive content, producer credit seats on the de- content development team, and more. Guys, thank you so much for the support you do give us. And if you'd like to help out, you can find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. I do want to say a special thank you to my associate producers here on the show, Norman Lau and Kenneth Tripp. You can find Norman Lau on at Norman Lau on Twitter. Of course, he's a big supporter of the Star Trek Axanar project. He can be found on their official Facebook page as well as the Babel Conference. And he is also the host of Warp 5. Uh, guys, if you would like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail. That would be great to have. Uh, look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. On Twitter, at trek.fm. Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference. It's just a great time to have um, the best conversations online about Star Trek. And then, of course, all the things we talk about here on the 602 Club. Just type the Babel Conference in at Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. You guys can find me at mattrushing02 on Twitter. I also do The Orb here on the network with Christopher Jones where we talk exclusively about the best Star Trek series, Deep Space Nine. You can also find me, of course, doing Literary Treks with Dan where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. 
and my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. And thank you so much for joining me tonight, and you'll come back now, you hear? Thank you.